0: Well, greetings and welcome to the Dividing Line. We've got a lot to get to today. In fact, I was just—it's one of those, again, Twitter, Twitter distractions. <laughs> right? Is here? You're, you're literally getting ready to start the program. You look over, and guess what happened? See, it's already scrolled by. Yeah, there it is. Okay, I found it. Guess what happened on this date in 1949? What happened on this date? 1949, since I'm looking over here, (laughs) Uh, 1949, 1984 was published, George Orwell's classic 1984 was published on this date in 1949, 74 years, 74 years, how did he get all that stuff right? It is amazing. Amazing. And you, you got to remember. I remember I, I, it was an assignment in high school. And I remember reading it. And the screen, the view screen in the apartment, where you have no privacy, where Big Brother can always see you and, and make you exercise harder. Remember? Um. In, I read that before 1984. So that would have been, probably read it 78, 79. May have been a little bit earlier than that if it was freshman year, but I think it was probably sophomore year. So 78, 79, somewhere around there. Um, so 84 was still in the future. But the idea of government surveillance on that level, um, wow. It was scary to think about, but it's like, uh, that, that'll never happen. And now we have uh, Alexa, and my phone's nearby, so I won't say the other one. We've got all this stuff, and we've got cameras, and it's all so easily understandable how it could happen. 1984, published this date in 1949. That's... um. Yeah, that just popped up on my screen. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, Not that I'm going to be discussing that anymore, but uh, lots of stuff we could be talking about regarding the SBC coming up. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I don't know if uh, we're going to have our annual Troublemaker in Texas report from the SBC or what – I don't know, I haven't talked with him about that, but lots and lots of stuff going on. I guess there there was a report about all the money uh, being spent on amazing things at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And again, I just remember 1980, 81, um, when I was, no, no, it was when I was in college. Um I I just I just remember Southwestern was the place, man. That was the place to go. If you were in the Southern Baptist church I was in, yeah, Southwestern is that was that was the place. That was where you wanted to be. And um uh it's it's not anymore. And um fascinating stuff about what they're spending money on while cutting staff at the same time. Um But we won't be getting into all that right now, um, either. I did say on uh, the last program that I would just leave up what I didn't get to. And so I think it would be best to do that. And then uh, I, again, was looking at the computer and ran across a video from... Leighton Flowers saying it's been two years waiting for an answer on this, and I, I don't listen to Leighton Flowers unless something pops up, unless someone says, "Hey, you specifically need to listen to this," or something like that. Um, f- from my perspective, we have so fundamentally refuted the foundational where Leighton Flowers stands foundationally that. Anything, anything after that is just going back over the same stuff over and over again. It can be helpful to folks to demonstrate the numerous errors in exegesis and misrepresentation, straw man, right, left, and center. Uh, but I, it's just not... Uh, most of my days pass without ever thinking about Soteriology 101 and latent Flowers. It's just... Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> so I saw a video... And I just now realized, oh, wait a minute, I've got, okay, I've got an, an, another, too many windows open at the same time. I do have it, and so it's very, very short. And, again, it allows us to get into the Word. That's the most important thing. Um, <clears throat> just for anybody's education and interest, again, we're between big trips. Um, big trip coming up starting the 23rd of June. Which will include, and we have on the website, on we actually got something up smack dab in the middle of the website, uh, well, well ahead of time, so no one can say oh, I didn't hear about that. Uh, real nice graphic put together by Redemption Hills Church, uh, my dear friend uh, Bruce Nicolay, um, who is uh, has asked me to. I don't know how to, basically, I'm gonna be trying to present God's kingdom as we are to be living it out today. It's I'm I'm not I'm not nearly as comfortable with these topics as I am with stuff that I've been doing for thirty years. Now, obviously almost anything where we address what's going on in our culture today is going to involve all sorts of new stuff and questions that are hard to answer and all that kind of stuff. But I'll just be honest with you. When when dealing with eschatology, I still, and I see it every single, I'm seeing it right now on Twitter as we're speaking so much more heat than light in the vast majority of situations. And why? Because no one, no one, no one is willing to lay aside their position for just a moment and go, well, let me get over here from your perspective and see. It's it's the one thing where it's just like, no, I'm not doing that. That's, that's how heretics are made, you know. It's the one thing, and I've been there. Uh, you know, I grew up with that perspective. If, if you, yeah, you know, <laughs> this this next room right over here, beep, right through that wall, <clears throat> was where we recorded the uh, conversation with, um, um, oh gosh, crazy King James man here in uh, in Phoenix. Um, this is normally when Rich would pop in and. <laughs> and go, that guy, and I go, yeah, that guy. Anyways, the name's slipping me at the moment. Again, someone else I do not think of very often. And we did that big, long interview in there that, uh, 30 seconds of which ended up in the movie. Anyway, uh, I just remember him going off, and I think it was after the cameras went off. Um, going off about somebody and it had something to do with pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and it, it very clearly from his perspective, unless you have the right one of those three, you're not even a Christian. You're a heretic. You're you're lost. You're going hellfire. You can believe in the Trinity and justification by faith and all the rest of It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um you're going to hell. And that attitude you know, okay, that guy he's he's got that kind of attitude about everything, but it's just, it's hard for me to get the energy up to do some of the arguing. Because for most folks, it's just like, as soon as they raise an objection to something you said, you know that they are going to insist that you hold to a viewpoint that you actually don't hold to in the first place. And they're, they're not going to give you any, any room. And it's just like, just not interested in that kind of stuff. Really, really not. So, I'm, I'm looking forward to a positive presentation up there in Littleton, Colorado, on the kingdom of Christ, building the kingdom of Christ in the midst of the deepest darkness we've seen in our society, in all of our lives, and in all the history of the United States. There's no question about that. And... So, I want to give, I I think there's great hope, and there's, I I love how this is the fulfillment of the roles of the Father and the Son, the Spirit, and just beautiful stuff we'll look at here in a moment, but I'm looking forward to doing that, and I know that, the questions about down here in the weeds and what about this verse here and that verse there, they're going to come. But I, I hope to be able to present an overarching, positive, encouraging perspective. I honestly think that we're getting through to a lot of folks. But they're not the ones making all the noise. They're just going, well, well if that's true, then... Man, what we're gonna do on the Lord's Day when we meet, that's we're we're building the kingdom. We're we're pushing it back, we're pushing back the kingdom of darkness. We're we're really doing something important in in eternity by the little things we do in time. Yeah. As long as that gets through, we're good. We're good. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll see you off there in uh, in Littleton. At uh, Redemption Hills Church. Go to the website. It's all there. It's a Saturday, Sunday. Two things, Saturday morning, Sunday morning service as well. And you will be warmly welcomed at Redemption Hills. It's a wonderful fellowship there. Um, And uh, look forward to seeing some of you folks there. So with that uh, being said, I said on the last program that I didn't get to an interesting element. And it sort of continued on. Um, Steve Camp, doing some stuff on Twitter like Steve Camp does on Twitter. And some people probably thought I was being a little bit nasty to to see, but look, you've got to to understand. Most folks don't have a long memory uh, as to what's gone on just over the past few years. And if it happened before 2020, it didn't really happen. That's ancient history. But in 2016, Steve was one of the many people um, that, ambushed me. I, I think they, it was it was horrifically um, not just unbrotherly, but just simply unfair, unkind. It was nat- It just nastiness. A number of people that I up until that time had figured were along with me uh, on those things, came after me because of the asar dialogue. Which, again, I remind most people don't even know what that was. You know, that was what, seven years ago now? Uh, right at seven years about now. It was, I think, May, if I recall correctly. May, June. Because I remember um, Janet Mefford uh, ambushed me on her program. In, uh, and I did that program from Bruce and Marty's house in Colorado. And so uh, I remember right now being on the phone, walking back and forth in their uh, kitchen uh, when that was taking place and that was a situation where um, again if you want to see those dialogues and I, I i really need to contact Yasser when we need to do some more of them we both have become very very busy and haven't done that even though we've we've talked since then and both of us have expressed a desire to do that again and he's in the dallas area and i' I go through there all the time now, so there just, there wouldn't be any reason not to. And so I, I want to, because if you go look them up it didn't see them, uh, go watch them. Universally, Christians outside the United States thought they were absolutely fantastic. That it was such a door opener, such a conversation starter, such a gospel foundation laying opportunity to have that kind of respectful conversation with a leading Muslim scholar without laying aside your differences, but discussing them openly and with respect for one another, especially people in uh, primarily Muslim countries thought, what an opportunity especially the second one where I'm, I'm the mosque and he's asking me awesome questions just straight up, and I've, I've talked about some of the conversations we had afterwards that were just great, but in the United States, um, there were a number of people who were just disgusted, and uh, there was the guy that does the videos, and again, his name has slipped my mind too, but I don't really, even if I did remember, I'm not sure I'd uh, bother bringing it up, but... <laughs> um, Ended up in movies, called me a useful idiot. Steve Camp went after me. Like I said, Janet Mefford went after me. And, and I had hosted for her. I had literally filled in for her. I had not only been on her program over and over and over again, but I had actually done her program when she was out of town. Uh, I had gone down to KPXQ and, and, and actually hosted the program. And and when she asked him to be on, I, I knew there was a possibility this could happen. But I, being hopeful... James that I was, I I didn't think that it would did well it it did and um yeah it was uh, it was quite quite the experience at that particular point in time and and I I, do, I would very highly recommend that people go back if you have not watched them, but James White Yasir Qadhi Y A S I R Q A D H I put that in the YouTube and they'll pop right up. The first was at a church. In, uh, I believe it was the Memphis area, when it happened, that's where he was located at that time. And uh, then, that was not a church service, it was during the middle of the week. And uh, then, the next night, in the mosque. And uh, it was just, it was fantastic. It was was a great opportunity, and again, love to see that type of thing happen again. So, anyway. um... (laughs) Oh, okay. I've, again, they, I finally switched over to TweetDeck. I am seeing more than I used to see, but I'm still missing stuff. Um, I, I, I There must be some way of... I don't know, but at least TweetDeck does allow me to see a lot of the stuff that I... You know, at least it's, it's popping up. So I was just seeing someone... <coughs> talking to someone who I had blocked at some point... Um, I have a very long block list. All right, let's let's get back to where we were here. I'm sorry. Uh, I said on the last program that I wanted to respond, and that that's actually where the connection was. Steve Camp made a comment um, yesterday or this morning, one of the two, about how everyone he sees presenting postmillennialism or theonomy, it's never exegetically based. <laughs> Even Doug Wilson, Doug Wilson doesn't do a lot on Twitter, um, but even even Doug had to respond, going, um, "There's been a lot of guys that have published a lot of books, that have done a lot of exegesis on this topic, and you may not have read them, but that doesn't mean that they weren't they weren't put out there, and and it's true. I I, I don't think that." Steve has spent much time actually looking into uh, these particular issues, uh, <clears throat> but be uh, yeah, that as it may, that was directly related to what I had mentioned on the program yesterday about noticing something interesting. First Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter. It is a lengthy chapter much ink has been spilled over the years on different portions of the chapter because it does break up into different sections, and there are some extremely challenging texts. Um, First Corinthians 1529, Baptism of the Dead. Um, <laughs> if you want to make most preachers stutter, ask them about that after a uh, after a sermon or something like that. No wonder, were you even listening to me? What does that have to do with what I was saying? But, uh, Lots of stuff in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But in the middle of it, you get... 1 Corinthians 15 touches upon the big, top-level issues of God's ultimate purposes and the relationship between the Father and the Son and especially... Uh how how do I put this? There's, it's really challenging to deal with Father and Son and Spirit, pre creation, eternal, non temporal relationships between the divine persons. And then in light of the what theologians call the eternal covenant redemption, or the simple fact that, simple recognition that God decrees what He's going to do. He has He has the, the goals, the, the means He's going to get there. And given that Father, Son, and Spirit take different roles in accomplishing those things, then there has to be, there is... Unity between the divine persons as to the roles that each is going to take. And I really have to wonder in many current Thomistic formulations of theology how this is even relevant, um, how you can even have a, a pactum salutis, say, uh, eternal covenant of redemption. Um, within that framework. But anyway, won't get into that today. You you see that touched upon in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and you have to deal with when we're talking about the Son, relationship with the Father, we're talking about the resurrection. So we're talking about the resurrected Son. And so now you're dealing with issues of the resurrected God-man. And a lot of Christians, honestly, after the resurrection, things get fuzzy. <laughs> it's just I, I I mentioned with when I was on with Tim Bushong that and that uh, we had a little discussion about stuff that aired I think on Tuesday it premiered I think right after I got done doing the program and I mentioned there that a lot of Christians. They, they never think about the ascension of Christ. I hadn't. Um, I, I was asked to preach on an ascension Sunday at a church in, again, I, I'm thinking it was New Jersey. And I was like, I don't remember anybody ever preaching about this. I never heard a sermon on this subject. It was, it was a wake-up call for me. <clears throat> and what happens after the ascension? And the relationship between Father and Son, and what it means for the Son to be the God-man after ascension into heaven. I think a lot of Christians just go, yeah, that was the incarnation stuff, and then he sort of just gets rid of the body. And But that's, that's not what's taught in Scripture at all. And so, we get a glimpse into some of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul brings up a bunch of stuff as foundation for answering the fact that there are people in Corinth that were denying the physical resurrection of the dead. And it is in that context, what what does it mean? He hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. Then comes the end when he, Christ, hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. When he has abolished, done away with, all rule and all authority and power. There's a lot there. Obviously, the resurrected Son has a kingdom, and so I wasn't going to do this, but stick with me. Um, I wonder if I have this. I hopefully I'll be able to get back to this. <laughs> Maybe again, I won't. I know. <clears throat> I asked on a program just sort of rhetorically a few months ago. And I, I'm going to throw it out there again, and, and for everybody who is struggling with things, it may only make you struggle more. Daniel seven thirteen. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, the cl- with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and came near before him. Now, there's already been a revelation of the Ancient of Days in Uh, verse 9 I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days was seated his clothing was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool sound familiar? sound familiar? yeah description of Christ to the churches but this is the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man is presented before the Ancient of Days so these are descriptions of deity and majesty his clothing was like white snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a blaze of fire, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads staying before him. The court sat and the books were opened. Well, here's Daniel 7. You've got Isaiah 6. You've got all these uh, visions of the heavenly realm that are given to you and it's in the midst of that that behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient days it came near before him so this is in the heavenly place this is before thrones this context is power authority and a one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven where have we heard that oh about the ascension huh i wonder if there's a connection. And then when you then when you realize some of these things you're reading were written hundreds of years apart from one another. And of course, Isaiah, Daniel hundreds of years before the time of Christ. So here you have the presentation of the son of man before the ancient of days in the heavenly context. And he comes the clouds of heaven. When does this happen? Well, The more I study it, the more it seems very clear this is the enthronement of the resurrected Messiah. This is the victorious Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, having accomplished redemption in his sacrificial death. He's presented before the Ancient of Days. Sound a little bit like Revelation 4 and 5? The Lamb standing as if slain, and what's the result? All created things. Praise Him who sits upon the throne and the Lamb. Daniel 7.14, And to Him, that is the Son of Man, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue might serve Him, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not be taken away and his kingdom one which will not be destroyed. Sounds like Revelation 5 is going hey here here's here's what's going on. All the people's nations and men of every tongue might serve him. And what's interesting is the Greek Septuagint um well here let's uh let's see if I can bring it up for you here see I've got the uh there's serve in legacy standard but look at the Greek Septuagint. La true usa. la true usa. now you might do I dare even try this <laughs> except it's backwards. Um, <laughs> let's uh let's let's try this. Well, now we've got two of me. <laughs> We're having fun here. Uh, let's go back to here, and uh, we'll just we'll, we'll how you can still see it there. So we can I can talk and look do, do it at the same time. There you go. Nobody needs to see me anyways, but it is a video, so you sort of have to do these things. Um, Here, Latruo, Duluo, Dulia, Latria, to use the Latinized versions of these Greek terms. If you're wondering where you've heard those things before, this is central to the argument that we have with Roman Catholicism about the veneration of saints and angels, uh, in Roman Catholicism, Latria is only given to God. Dulia can be given to angels and saints and things like that. And then Hyperdulia is given to Mary, and that she's the only one that receives Hyperdulia. And the distinction is a distinction without meaning. Uh, a, a Normally, one particular Hebrew word, Ahav, is used to... Translate both of them. So it, it, it's it's a distinction that is not derived from scripture. It is one that's created to try to have an excuse for the idolatry that is a part of has become a part of Roman Catholic tradition. But the point is here, in the Greek Septuagint, it's the highest form of worship, Latruo. You can't even you can't even try to because in the New Testament, normally you have proskuneo. And proskuneo can, can be used of God. God is worshipped with that term. Jesus receives proskuneo, worship. Um, but proskuneo can also just be bowed down before a, a king or a um, you know, high-ranking officer or something like that. So it doesn't have to be worship. If it's in a religious context, it is. But it doesn't have to be worship. Latruo is the worship in the temple. And that's what you have here in the Greek Septuagint in regards uh, to all the people's nations and men from every tongue might serve him, might worship him. Um, He is given, his dominion is an everlasting, his exousia is exousia ionios, uh, which will not be taken away. Uh, his kingdom is one that will that will not be destroyed. This is the enthronement of the exalted Christ, and this is what we see um, in in this situation. So, <clears throat> I'm running solo. In case I didn't mention that, I assumed everybody knew that, but I'm running this all on my own. Rich is on vacay. He's not really taking a vacay, but he's on vacay, so he's not here. So, if I mess anything up, it's all my my fault. Anyways. <clears throat> so, here is the enthronement of Christ, Daniel chapter 7. And that, then, is what we end up seeing um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to now the, the LSV uses the God and Father and and I'll, I'll go ahead and show you here um it is valid because we we do have the article um but I you know, I'm just I'm not sure that that's hands over the kingdom to God, even the Father, I think, would be just as appropriate. Uh, but when does he do this? When, when is Tattelos? When is the end? When he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. Who? Christ. When he has done this, Not, well, again, there there are going to be, be people who will say, well, yeah, but he he doesn't do that until like the millennium or something like that, okay? So we're going to go to the last book of the Bible and come up with this concept that's only found there and read it back into everything else, whereas the writer of the Revelation is wanting you to define the Revelation on the basis of all the stuff he's drawing in from the preceding scriptures, rather than doing it backwards. Because it says in verse 25, and I was going to wear my shirt, and I forgot. I can't believe I did that. Um, I even thought of it this morning. I still forgot it. Sorry. I was going to wear my Daigar Al-Tan Basel-Yuain shirt, and that's right there. For it is necessary for him to reign Akri Hu until... And then notice here, it is above me there. Good, so you can still see it. Um, well, I can roll it up so you can see it easier. Um, this is in italics. The rest of this is in italics. pontas isn't. But he has put, he must reign until, Akri who, when? He has put all his enemies under his feet. So, there is an active reigning on the part of Christ who has been enthroned in heaven. He has been given dominion, power, all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. He reigns until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Not everything falls apart and then there's this big invasion, and you use divine power to bring about the Battle of Armageddon and however you put that, maybe at the end or the beginning or however it works out. Um, But there's this big breaking in, and you wipe out all the enemies, and then there's people argue about what happens during the Millennium and all the rest of that stuff, and then there's rebellion at the end and all that kind of stuff. Here you have Bustle Uwine. He must reign. He—that means that he is reigning until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and he's the one who does this. And the question is, and the last enemy abolished is death. That's the last one. And this is something Christ accomplishes as reigning king. And so you can say, well, yeah, um, we lose down here. It all gets bad and then Christ comes back and zaps everybody and then he'll reign. But what about now? Well, he's reigning spiritually in his kingdom, but he's not putting his enemies under his feet now. Because there's certain there's certain understandings about eschatology. He's, he's not doing that. That's not going to happen until Rapture time, or after the after the tribulation period, or people have different theories. The last enemy to abolish the death. So, what is that quote from? And this is what was interesting to me. This is what I was going to point out to you. Is in uh, this citation here is from Psalm one ten, and Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. So here's, here's the section that's quoted um, in 1 Corinthians 15. But instead of what you have in 1 Corinthians 15, which is akrihu, in the Greek septuagint, you have heos on, very similar phraseology, until I place your enemies under your feet. So here, the, and you see in verse uh, uh, 2, Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion saying, have dominion in the midst of your enemies. This is clearly what Paul is bringing in and going, this must take place first. But who's doing the reigning? And who's doing the subjection? It's interesting that in the fulfillment passage, Paul puts all your enemies because he wants to say the last enemy is death all these enemies are going to be placed under his feet and if you're going well one says the father's going to do it and the other says the son's going to do it that's like trying to say there's a contradiction in the bible because we see all three divine persons involved in the resurrection Jesus says he has authority to take his life back again the Father is obviously the one that raises him from the dead. The uh, Spirit is the one who raises him from the dead. All three persons are involved in the same action. It's not a it's not not something you create a contradiction out of. You just simply see that they're taking different roles in accomplishing this. But it's interesting. Sit at my right hand is a position of authority. That's Daniel seven. You you bring that together. And Paul's also going to pull in Psalm 2 uh, in the same section, First Corinthians chapter 15. Here is the overarching purpose of God. This, this, is, this is what got me. Okay? I'm just explaining it to you. And I simply say to you you need to... My suggestion is this. It is far more important that our ordering principle sorry uh, that our ordering principle there we go it's far more important that our ordering principle in theology and in eschatology be the high order revelation of what Father, Son, and Spirit are accomplishing in eternity than it is your pet theory as to who Gog and Magog are or how many people in Chinese armies so you can have 200 million coming across the Euphrates or something along those lines. I was once there. That was, when I was a young person, That's that was what eschatology was about. But when you see that the Apostle Paul is looking at these texts, he's drawing these texts together, he's blending them together. And he's, he's saying he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That is an action of the enthroned Messiah, the risen Lord to whom all authority has been given in heaven and earth. And so when when good old Steve Camp says, I never see you people ever using Bible verses, you know, putting a bunch of Bible references at the end of a tweet isn't exegesis. Dealing with why is it that the Apostle in talking about the big overarching issues uses these texts key messianic texts in the way that he does. Where do you learn that from? You know, I've often said wouldn't you have loved to have been one of the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Wouldn't you have loved to have heard Jesus opening up the scriptures um, and explaining from Moses onward the testimony of him? Was this part of what was revealed at that time that we need to understand as well? Important questions, I think. Um, important questions indeed. And I, I just love looking at and stuff like that and again I'm just like you know what I'm just going to throw this out here for folks I'm not going to I'm not trying to browbeat anybody into thing, anything I, I, I don't want the heat I only want the light I, I shine the light and I go think about it because for me seeing the harmony post-millennialism is Trinitarian to its core and i think you could hold the other views without even being trinitarian because when when i look at psalm 2 psalm 110 uh, ask and i'll give you the nations as their inheritance that's you can't do that without the trinity you you cannot you can't understand the application of the new testament that if you're not trinitarian and so for me seeing that harmony is beautiful. It's it's beautiful. And um so there you go. Um I throw it out there and um oh by the way, oh I forgot to bring it. Uh, I want to have Tobias Riemenschneider or if you really want to say it to impress it. Riemenschneider uh my dear brother Tobias On the program, he's got it. Ezra Institute just put out a book that he wrote. Uh, If you thought we had challenges in the United States, and yes, I'm shifting topics here, but not really going this direction, but just mentioning if you thought we had problems here, Germany was a lot worse. And I sort of walked through that with my dear friends in Frankfurt, Peter Schultz and Tobias Wiemenschneider there in Frankfurt at the church there. I'm still teaching church history for them. We finally got... <laughs> We've been doing this for over two years. I think maybe coming up in three. <clears throat> and, um, in fact, I need to, need to find out whether we're, <coughs> whether we're doing a class this Friday or the Friday thereafter. And uh, this one's not showing it to me. I'm not sure why. But... Um, Huh. I, I thought for sure there was one in there. Uh, we've been doing a church history class for years now, and so I was sort of walking through them through this with them, and it came up a lot in our in our conversations. And just love those brothers, love that church. And uh, Tobias has written a book. Uh, you may know Tobias is one one of the primary writers of the Frankfurt Declaration. Uh, which, if you haven't looked it up, look it up, sign it. And I need to have him on to talk about his new book from Ezra Institute, um, Joe Boots organization. I'm one of the fellows of the Ezra Institute. You may have seen Joe and I were at the thing in Georgetown uh, teaching there just a few weeks ago. Anyway, um, Tobias has put a book out on that uh, on the subject of government overreach and tyranny and things like that, and we need to uh, need to get him on the program. I ain't trying to do that while I'm alone, though. <laughs> there's there's only so much you should try to do and not break everything in the process. So, um, maybe someday I, I will have the skills to do all that by myself, but probably not. Um, probably not. Um, so, I, for some reason, I'm not sure what it was that triggered that in my mind, but we need to have him uh, on so you can... Uh, Learn how to get his book and, and things things like that Ezra's it, probably if you go to Ezra's too you'd be able to order it from there. Okay, so we are transitioning, however, into see if I can find it anyway. Um, yes, all right, here we go. I did want to, and I have twelve minutes or so. It's not like anybody cares um, if I if I don't. Um, I go five minutes over, no one cares. <laughs> I'm not having to go anywhere, or anything like that. Okay, there, here's the tweet. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. I did have this up, and I, I will never remember this if I don't if I don't do it now. A fellow on Twitter, and this is I should have kept this with the last topic. A fellow on Twitter. Uh, said that myself, Jeff Durbin, and others promote Christian nationalism and want to project a better world in a far, far away future for their great, great, great grandchildren hoping they will be living in a sanctified nation while ignoring that we are ambassadors, not citizens. Uh, When you say someone's ignoring something, may may I point something out to you? Um... You know, when you say stuff like that about me, I'm like, "Mm." when you say something like that about Jeff, and you can go online, and you can find video after video after video of Jeff Durbin standing before governmental officials, legislators, local, state, National, all over the place, fearlessly proclaiming the lordship of Christ, being an ambassador for Christ, and saying to legislators, You must defend preborn children because Christ commands you to, and you will be judged. That's what an ambassador does, sir. And you know who you are. Um, so pick your words significantly more carefully. Because that was just absurd. We haven't forgotten anything. And I do want and pray for my great-great-grandchildren. And I want to live and act now in such a way as to invest in them, plant and build for them, and be remembered by them for having been a person who did consider them and gave my ministry and life for their betterment. And if there is, and there may well be, I hope and pray not, but there may may very well be a horrific time of darkness between now and my great-great-great-grandchildren. There may well be. God is under no obligation uh, to make everything a bed of roses. And what's very clear to me is that in his sovereign decree in the history of the church, We have been given example after example after example of what happens when you walk away from his truth. What happens to nations? What happens to cultures? And we may be getting the biggest example ever. And if we are still in the early church, or maybe the middle church, whatever else it may be, it's going to be an example that's going to have massive implications. That's quite possible. It's quite possible. I can't control any of that, but I can be faithful to the calling that has been given to me. And so I do not apologize for working toward that end. Um, But then he he makes the argument that, well, what we're saying is our activities is is what's going to bring about Christ returning. And he can't return until we do all this. That's just absurd. We are reformed. God has a decree. The day of his return is set. He's decreed the ends as well as the means. I I just don't understand the silliness of people. Um, And it it is just, it's just just absolute silliness. The other thing, I I can't spend much time on this, but uh, yesterday I, I just tweeted. How sad I was about this um, i I remember sometime i was I was teaching at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary in mill Valley beautiful place. They're not there anymore sadly, I'm sure that campus sold for enough money to run the reduced size seminary forever most prime real estate, well, until now, I mean, the Democrats have driven San Francisco into the sewer, literally. People are fleeing there. Uh, the leftists are even fleeing there. Maybe that's their plan. You even drive the leftists out so they'll infect everybody else their leftism. I don't know. But anyway, I was teaching, and I remember every time you'd go up to teach on campus, I normally taught L1311. It was Christian apologetics worldview class. And you'd be put in a different housing unit. And I remember what this room looked like. I'm not completely convinced it wasn't the same trip where I had the conversation with Marty Minto about what had happened with Norm Geisler. I've told that story before. The Potter's Freedom and... Shows them at free and all that stuff. Anyway, I remember the room. And somehow while I was there, I I came to realize that the group Cademan's Call had mentioned me in one of their recent album releases. And I think could be wrong, but I think it was while I was there that I had my first contact with Derek Webb. And my recollection is that that they were playing some of my debates on the tour bus, and, and, you know, Lecrae did that, too, and stuff like that. A lot of things have changed over the years. But I met Derek, I think, twice. I know I met him in Mesa or Tempe, Arizona. He was doing a concert, and he let me know about that, as I recall, and we got together before the concert and sat around and, you know, he was in his white T-shirt, like, I think that's the only thing. I don't think he owns any other, well, we're about to see if that's not the case. Um, and so I would like to have thought that had Derek had questions about the faith or about the Bible or about things like this, he certainly knew how to get hold of me. We, we we had each other's phone numbers. I've tried his number since then. It's, it's changed, so I don't have contact with him that way anymore. Um, he hasn't blocked me yet on Twitter, but I, I have said some strong things to him. But then I heard of his apostasy. Well, first I heard of his divorce, and then his apostasy. I've I've listened to some stuff, and it was just it was really hard to listen to. The profanity and the depravity of thinking and things like that. But you can't stay there. And you remember about two or three months ago I played a little video of where he was talking about, well, hey, you know, nothing I can do. I gotta wait for God to do it. I'm just you know and it's his excuse for loving his rebellion, because he, he loves his rebellion. It's, it's definitional of him. And yes, he, he could be one of the examples that there are times, and it's a terrible thing to think about, that God takes people who have had a tremendous amount of light, and he, he does this. There's Derek. In a dress and pearls, And it says, with June being Pride Month, I want to take the occasion to clearly say, I unhesitatingly and wholeheartedly support my lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer friends, their rights, their marriages, their unencumbered pursuit of happiness, and their breath. This is also true July through May. And then, as you may know, he then put out a um, song video where he's singing while he's being made up as a drag queen did you, did you did you see that there were LGBTQ plus groups pressuring Target to restock and to press on, you know they they've lost 14 15 billion dollars um, Bud Light's dead but you need to sacrifice yourself on the altar of the culture of death. This is what you all need to do. And they need to restock all their pride stuff because, and did you hear? This is the LGBTQ people. There is no neutrality. And they're right. There isn't any neutrality. It would be nice if we can convince Christians of this. Some of us have been preaching that for a long time. There is no neutrality. But they get it. And I can't imagine that when Derek first decided that he was leaving the Christian faith, that this was where he was going to end up. Being willing to do this kind of thing. But... Is it really shocking or surprising? It, it, where's the stopping point? Where's where's the place where someone can grab hold and go, no farther? Why would they even, why, why grab hold of anything? Given he has no worldview left to even be able to discuss. It's tragedy, but we must learn from it. Um, we know from Scripture that when God brings these things into time, we are to learn from these things. We're to learn from what happened to Israel. We're to learn from their example. And I think we're to learn from Derek's example, too. And we are to learn that we should never presuppose the grace of God in our lives. And when someone has a tremendous amount of light um, and they sin against that light. The resultant darkness will be a, a very deep darkness. That's what I said when I posted this on Twitter. I said, when you sin against the light as bright as he had, the darkness you will experience will be a deep, deep darkness. It really will. All right, let's, uh, let's look at this here. It's very short. It's not going to take forever. Um well his comment isn't, but we're gonna take some time to look at the scripture and again I, I don't have to be anywhere at any particular point in time. Um and so let let's here this is like I said, this is um what I saw on Twitter um And it was Leighton Flowers saying, it's been two years, I've I've never gotten an answer. I've not seen this before. Uh, So there you go. But here's, um, let's just take a look at it. Nobody as well. So there is a personal, intimate relationship that exists between the sheep and the shepherd. Did you hear that? There's an intimate, personal relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. So before people believe, they're sheep on Calvinism, right? They're sheep before you believe. Because... In order to believe you have to be a sheep first, in the way they've interpreted John chapter 10, right? You have to be a sheep before you have to, therefore you have to have an intimate personal relationship with God before you have faith in him. Can you explain that? Sure. Uh Leighton, we've explained it to you many, many times, and and it's uh it's again further further evidence of the fact that whatever you thought you were uh years and years ago, um A knowledgeable Calvinist, you were not. And, um, that's a, that's a sad reality, but, but that's, that is the reality. Um, I don't know how, oh wait, why does that, Rich is going to watch this and go, oh, I could have fixed that, (laughs) but I don't, but I, I don't know, um. All right, let's let's look at this. Let's just look at it this way, and don't worry about me. Uh, Here's the conversation between the Lord Jesus uh, and the Jews, okay? Uh, The Jews then gathered around him, this is in Solomon's portico, and we're saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us openly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Same Phraseology is used in John 6, said to the disciples who had rode across the lake. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me, but, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. But you, plural, are not believing Hati because uk este ekton prabaton ton hemon. You are not of my sheep. This is why you don't believe. It's because you are not of my sheep. Why? Because my sheep hear key phraseology in the Gospel. Of John, hear my voice Phone mu. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them Genosco, I know them, and they follow me. I know them. Now it, it maybe this was you know I don't I don't know. By looking at it, what particular comment I was making or, or what program it was, I'm not certainly not going to invest time uh, with everything I'm trying to do to track that type of stuff down. But one of the things that must be emphasized from John chapter 10 is that if you are truly one of Christ's sheep, There is that intimate personal relationship because the the shepherd chooses his sheep. The sheep don't choose the shepherd. Isn't that obvious? Isn't that a duh situation? Just as in John chapter six, Jesus is addressing the unbelief of men who have tremendous light. They have tremendous light. They have the scriptures. The Messiah is standing right in front of them. They have tremendous light, but they don't believe. In the next chapter, what's going to happen? What's John 11? Resurrection of Lazarus. Some of these very same men are going to see that. That's not very far away from Jerusalem. So many of the same men who heard Jesus say, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. They're going to see Lazarus walk out of a tomb four days after he was put in there you know what their reaction is going to be? we got to do something about this guy they have no, no ears to hear, no eyes to see because they're not a sheep and the shepherd chooses a sheep and the shepherd makes it so that the sheep will hear his voice Now, he then goes on to say, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, ever. That's the LSV's somewhat stilted way. Uh, someone asked me about this recently. Um, but... That is their way of expressing this. It's called the heirs of Drunk of strong, denial. You've got the double double negative. Um, so they will never, ever perish. In the yellow speech is that they will never perish, ever. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Please notice, plural, are one, we are one. They are one in the accomplishment of the salvation of God's people. And so, notice what we have in verse 29 My Father who has given them to me, ha dedokenmoi, and if you go back to John chapter 6, This is where you're going to see the exact same terminology. You have the same terminology in John 6 that you have in John 8, that you have in John 10, that you then see in John 17. It's just over and over and over and over again. The Father gives a particular people, the sheep, to their shepherd. And he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, I and the Father, we are one. And as a result, the Jews pick up stones to stone him because they recognize what this claim is actually all about. So, what is Leighton Flowers' complaint here? Well, you're saying that the sheep know him, but you have to be the sheep to believe, so you have to have an intimate relationship with him before you can believe in him. And sometimes when I hear Leighton trying... Because see, what Leighton Flowers does, his job, and he works at it day and night, and I I feel for the man. I truly do. His job is to try... His job is to do what the Jehovah's Witnesses do with the Trinity. I remember uh, years ago, I don't have it here, but um, their primary study book... Was uh, the life everlasting? The red book with all the pretty pictures and stuff like that, and that's what they would study with people. And they have got you to do a study with them in the home. Is that's that's where they would start. And we called it the, the infamous black page. It was a page where they they reverse printed it, so the print was a light color and black in the background. And it was where they would give an accurate definition of the Trinity, and then in the next paragraph, given inaccurate definition of the Trinity, and all of it was specifically to create confusion. So as to communicate to people, you shouldn't believe this stuff because it's so confusing and it doesn't make any sense and, and all that kind of thing. And that's what, that's what Leighton does in regards to Reformed theology, is his job is to try to make it as confusing as possible. Because what Reformed Theology is saying is the Father in eternity past, Ephesians chapter 1, has given a specific people to the Son. And He has entrusted their salvation to Him. And as the Son says in John chapter 6, He's come down to heaven, not to His own will, but the will of Him who sent Him. What's the will of Him who sent Him? That of all that He has given me, same exact terminology, I lose none of it, but raise it up on the last day. All that the Father gives me will come to me. That's the prior action. That's the action of the Father. He's given to people to the Son, and they come as a result. And all we're saying is, is that that giving by the Father to the Son makes you one of Christ's sheep. Or to use John chapter 8, why do you not hear what I'm saying to you? Because you do not belong to God. You've not been given to me. That's why you can't hear it's the same theme. John 6, John 8, John 10, it's a drumbeat. We can allow all these passages to be related to one another, see how it's a consistency reading through the Gospel of John. Synergists have to jump all over the place. They can't, they can't do that kind of exegesis and end up with a synergistic, um, man-centered Gospel like they have. So, <coughs> in John chapter 10... We are saying, Christ's sheep hear his voice. And they are made Christ's sheep by the Father giving them to the shepherd. That's that's all we're saying. The giving takes place in eternity past. It then has fruition in time. And so you have the eternal decree forms the fabric of time. And when God decrees, Spirit moves, raises us to to, uh, spiritual life we hear the message we hear the gospel the message of our salvation we believe we are regenerated and uh, saved to use the nice broad term but that's what happens in time what happens in time is the result of the eternal decree of God that's what you have in John 10 that's what you have in John 6, John 8 so on and so forth so he's trying to say well if you say that the sheep have a personal relationship with Christ then they've always had that relationship and so you have to have a relationship with Christ before you can believe in Christ oh look at the confusion and of course that ignores the reality that when we're talking about the sheep have that intimate relationship with Christ they I know them Christ Christ says to those he sends away, I never knew you, depart from me. He can't say that to his sheep, because he says to his sheep, I know them and they follow me. There is a relationship that exists there. And it's a relationship that we become aware of and experience the reality of at the time when God breaks through in his grace, raises us to spiritual life, regenerates us, gives us the gifts of faith and repentance, And now, we long to be with Christ. We long to hear His voice. We long to follow Him. That takes place in time. What Leighton has over and over and over... And we've documented this. I don't know how many hours we've spent on this. But I've said this for years. When was the debate that... Was it 2015? Was it that long ago? They cannot allow the biblical revelation of the full-orbed beauty. I did something. Did I? Where did I put that? I haven't seen it for a while. Hold on a second. Uh, are you back here? Nope, nope, nope. You're not back there. Hmm. I'm going to have to find it. Because I bought a a crystal thing and one of the reasons I wanted to get it was to illustrate am not sure where I would have put it. It's in the other room somewhere. How many times have I said time and eternity is, is a full orb thing and what latent flowers and the syringes do is squish it down. It has to be two dimensional. We've got to be able to understand it. And there can't be the eternal reality Father, Son, and Spirit, the Divine Decree, that kind of thing. And then the experience of that decree in time. We can't, nope, nope, nope. It's all got to be something that we can do in time. So we're going to create this contradiction. Because they won't believe everything the Bible says. And so there's no contradiction. The contradiction is created by by latent Flowers refusing to hear That the giving by the Father to the Son is what determines what takes place in time. That's all there is to it. It's it's right there in the text. And that's why, hey, how many times have I said, I'll walk in with just this. You and me, John 6, Greek New Testament. I'll tell you what, Leighton, you can bring everything you want. You can bring all your notes, and you can have them in a big old um, slobber-proof notebook. Because <laughs> that's what, when you put your notes in plastic, it may be because you just don't want to get them ruined by, by spitting on them, you know? Because they're, they're, some people do that. Um, but uh, you, can, you can have your big old notebook, and you can have your Bibles, and you can have all your pre-made, ready questions, because um, that's how you guys do stuff, as we've seen. I'll still just use this. Because this is all I need. If you want to just do John 6. We see you do No, we got to be able to go the here. No, I'm not saying that you do not have to... Because even here, I pointed out the consistency the terminology between John 6, John 8, John 10, John 17. It's purposeful on the part of the author. I'm not saying you can't point that out. But Leighton, you know in your heart of hearts that you cannot sit there with just the Bible and walk through John 6 and come to your conclusions. You know it. You know it. Now, I drive through the Dallas area all the time anymore. Sometimes I go north. Sometimes I go south. Sometimes I go right through the middle. All depends. I know a church in Houston that would be willing to to do it you've You've been there before, and uh, who knows? But anyways, there's the answer. I sorry, it took two years. I just didn't didn't know that there was a question about it. and there you go. Okay, uh, almost an hour and 20 minutes, according to what I'm seeing, and the uh, the microphone things are moving up and down, which means hopefully something's getting recorded. <laughs> Hope and pray. Uh, Hopefully we did it better this time. I I had forgotten to do something two days ago. I had forgotten to load presets, which I have to do when I'm in the RV as well, but that's for the cameras. I had to load the presets for the uh, switcher here. I did. And so hopefully everything worked. We'll find out. I even had to figure out all the stuff that Rich does in the other room uh, two days ago on the blog and sermon audio and YouTube and extracting audio, all that stuff that he's been doing all these years. He didn't show me how to do that part. I just sort of went, well, um, looks like you do it like that. Got it figured out. I'll let him continue to do that in the future. (laughs) But at least we're to the point where if I had to, uh, we could, we could get through this uh, together. So, because we enjoy doing this for you oh by the way real <coughs> in closing Pat Robertson died never met him I was at CBN once secretly I'm sure it's been long enough now that this doesn't matter um, we uh, for me to say this publicly but we recorded stuff on Islam for use in Islamic countries and we use their facilities that's great Um, said a lot of silly stuff toward the end of his life, got to admit. However, one thing I noticed, and don't forget this, his wife died last year. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen people just not live much longer than, than their spouses do because they were defined by that person. But they were married almost... I think, I think it was 68 or 69 years. Um, that's awesome. Say what you will. Complain about some of the wackiness that he got into. But he was married to the same woman for almost seven decades. And these days, that's something to salute, honor, uh, make mention of. No my my parents only had I think 53 before my mom died. Now you know I think it was more than that. No, I think it was I think it was 55 or 56, yeah. Now that now that I think on it. Can't ask my dad anymore cuz he died last year. So uh they had they they didn't get to 60, but they had they had a long time. Uh they had a long time. Uh we need to honor that. Honor that. Something to be very, very thankful for, and uh, so so we do that. All right, um, <clears throat> with that, I am going to thank you for listening to the program today and start the music and say, see you next time.